I love it. I am so excited about what God's going to do as we uh, combine our time, challenge, and treasures to reach this community. And so, like we do every Sunday, we're going to be walking through a book. It's Luke, if you've been with us for a couple years. And so, feel free to flip over to Luke chapter 8. You can grab your Bibles, open your apps. And so, last week, Drew taught us, showed us what Luke was telling us was the big picture of four different soils. Four ways you and I can hear and react to the Word. And today, we zoom in on the good soil. We look at what that good soil means, how you and I can respond to what we hear. I have four amazing kids. Any of you guys got kids? A few of you. A few of you are willing to own up to them. Some of you are like, that's not my kid. I get it. Because, you know, my kids, they get all their cuteness from mommy. They get all their honoriness from daddy. But I have four kids. And when I say this phrase, hey, kids, I get a certain response from my kids, right? Have you ever noticed that? If you have kids and do that. If I say, hey, kids, it's time to clean up your room. Or, hey, kids, it's time to get off the video games. What kind of response do I get? Yeah. Crickets, selective hearing, right? Or five more minutes, please. But when I say, hey, kids, it's dinner time, what sort of response do I get? What's for dinner, Dad? Because they know if it's Brussels sprouts and broccoli, well, eh. But if it's lasagna, woohoo! And when I say, hey, kids, how about we go to ice cream today? The response I get is... It's a fight for who gets shotgun, right? And that's what Luke is trying to get us to determine this morning, to decipher, is are we listening to what God is saying? So let me read to you the text found in Luke 8, starting in verse 15. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Let me pray. God, this morning, we want to have ears that hear. We want to follow after you. God, that you would give us your spirit to move and transform. You would illuminate your word. You would speak in such a way that we are convinced of your goodness and we take those steps. That God, this morning, there's some evaluation that needs to take place. It's easy to just go through the motions and do life and come to church and go home and eat lunch and get up on a Monday and go to work. And yet, God, we don't want to just exist. We want to live the way you've designed us for. And so help us to hear, to listen, to follow what you are really calling us to today. In your precious name, amen. 
The text says no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see. You notice that phrase, no one? It's highlighted in the text here. Luke is saying, just like no one, just like no one would, just like no one would say yes if their wife asked them, honey, does this dress make my bum look big, right? Just like no one expects the 49ers to win the Super Bowl this year, right? Just like no one can eat one potato chip out of a bag and that's it. No one covers their light with a jar or put it under a bed. They put it on a stand. And here's why. There's always something that lights your life. Isn't there? There's always something that illuminates your life. There's always something that shines through in the way you live and the way you speak and the way you act. And so what Jesus is getting us to process here is you and I are lit by what? What illuminates your life? What are you passionately pursuing? What am I passionately pursuing? It might be that girl. I switched high schools because of a girl. It might be the bigger paycheck. We live in an upwardly mobile community where we want bigger, better, faster, get more, all that we can. Maybe you can't wait to be the boss, and then you can order people around. For some of us, the thing that lights us up is getting into size two or size zero. You notice I'll never fit in skinny jeans, right? Or maybe for you, what you're pursuing is that perfect, picture-perfect Christmas card where your kids look great. 364 days of the week, they don't. But in that picture, you've got it all together because that's the snapshot you want everybody to see and think. That's why you Pinterest post. That's why we Facebook post these things because this is what we are pursuing with our life. The bigger boat, the bigger house. Maybe even for you, it's a religious experience. But what... Are you lit by? What am I lit by? See, this is the hard work Jesus is calling us to of hearing this morning. Because I've seen many people in 20 years of ministry that they're in their head, God is real, but not in their life. They know the facts. They believe in God. They do certain things. God is real in their duties. They come to church. Maybe they serve. Maybe they even give. And then God is real even in their morality, how they make decisions, how they process their life. But is God real in your life? You see what the text is saying this morning? Is God real in our life, not just in our head, not just in our actions, not just in our morality, but how we live. Because whatever it is that lights you up, that's what you put on a stand. That's what you show off to people around you. That is how we live our life, so that on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Because you and I, we share about what we care about. Isn't that true? Right now, there's this phenomenon called Pokemon Go. Anyone playing it? Have you got a Charizard? Have you got the cool new Pokemon? I mean, I watch all these people walking around with their phones stuck to their face because we share about what we care about. Maybe it's your team. You can't wait till they play. Preseason is in three weeks. Can I get an amen? Right? I mean, we share about what we care about, what our kids are doing, our political heroes, our politics, the food we ate, it's plastered all over Facebook, or the loss of weight that we're so excited about. Because whatever you and I are lit by, others notice. Isn't that true? 
I mean, that's how we get to do most anything in our life. Somebody recommends it. Somebody tells us a story. Somebody says, oh, I lost weight on this pill. Or, oh, my family finally got figured out by this thing. And we're like, oh, I'm willing to try that. That's something I want. And so whatever you and I are lit by, others notice. But I think the question we have to ask is, what if there's something even better than what everyone else in El Dorado Hills is living for? Something maybe a little more illuminating, a little more joy-filled, a little more life-changing. Because my hope for you, my hope for me in this community, is it's Jesus that lights you up. Not knowing more about him, not doing more church, but a personal relationship with him. Because that's what people are looking for. That's what allows them to see. That's what changes our life from dead to alive. No amount of religion, no amount of knowledge, no amount of just trying to shuffle the deck chairs on the Titanic as it's sinking will bring life to this community. It is Jesus and him alone. See, you understand, church, that the church only has one thing to offer this world. It's not, I I love what we do as Vintage Grace. I love our kids programs. I love our worship. I love Drew preaching. But that is not what we have to offer the world. It is Jesus. Does that make sense? Everything we do has to orient around a deeper and more vibrant, passionate relationship with Jesus. See, the gospel is not simply something we share. The gospel is not something we simply responded to 20 years ago, five years ago, in a prayer or as we walked down an aisle. It is a motivating story that moves us to intimacy with God. It moves us towards life transformation and taking as many people with us as possible. That's what it means to be lit up by Jesus. There's a word we use at Vintage Grace a lot. It's only three letters long. I bet you can guess it. Starts with a J, ends with a Y. What is it? Joy. That we actually really believe there's more joy in Jesus. More joy than the rays. More joy than the boat. More joy than the bigger house. And that's what this world is desperately looking for. Is it true in my life and your life that we really believe that there's more joy in Jesus? Than just something we say or something we do. Has it really lit our life? I love how C.S. Lewis says it this way, don't shine so others can see you. Shine so that through you, others can see him. Because here's the reality. You can't fake it. You can't pretend long. That's what this next verse is getting at. Verse 17, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. In the middle of the night, it's dark, you're sleeping, and there's a noise. What do you do? Maybe some of you grab a gun, but you're afraid to notice that because we're in California. I get that. You flick on a light, right? You're like, what was that noise? It's probably a six-foot spider. Click. Ah! Right? Because light not only illumines, it exposes. It shows us. And so whatever is in the darkness of our life, Whatever sin, whatever secrecy, whatever shame, whatever we try and keep hidden, whatever we're trying to cover up. You guys, we want to be real. There are things in our life that we don't want other people to know. And so we pretend, we pose, we try and pretend that we got this Christian Barbie and Ken going on here. But there is a reality that we are still set in some of our ways. 
And when Jesus is our light, it'll expose that. It'll show that. We don't have to worry about being closer to other Christians. And we don't have to fear God's response. See, the choice we have when we know Jesus at this level is to turn it over to him. Whatever is holding you back, whatever is that secret that you are afraid someone is going to find out, are you willing to trust his goodness, his grace, and say, I I don't want to live that way anymore, God. My kids, uh, my two younger kids, they're 10 years old, twins, boy and girl twins. My boy comes crying to me, ah, Michaela hit me. I'm like, good job, Michaela. No, not really. (laughs) But so I sat down with her and I said, what happened? And you know, just like normal kids, they're like, well, it was an accident. Really, your fist just accidentally went smack and he has a black eye, right? Any of your kids do that? I guess it's just my kids. Great. Thanks. Thanks for helping me feel like a good parent. I love it. But I sat down with her on her bed and I said this. I want you to know two things. I want you to know two things. Number one, I love you no matter what. I love you no matter what. No matter the good decisions or the bad decisions. No matter when you mess up or do a fantastic job. I love you. And number two, I don't want you to hide. I don't want you to lie. I don't want you to pretend. Because then you're really not understanding, number one. It's going to set you on a pattern for your life that is destructive. And I think that's what Luke's trying to warn us about. When Christ is our light, he will illuminate the things that are yet to still be like him. And that's okay as long as we don't hold on to them and try and hide them, but rather release them to our good and loving Father. Verse 18 continues, Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. This is the key verse in this whole passage. Because Luke is telling us there's a big difference between hearing and receiving. There's a huge difference between hearing and receiving. Every wife knows this. During football season, there's a huge difference between hearing and receiving, right? If not, just wait for three weeks. You'll figure it out on Sunday. Honey, would you like something? Sure. We don't really. Sometimes we listen and hear, but we actually don't process and we don't really receive it. And so there is a continual response that is needed as healthy soil. Going back to last week, there's a continual response needed as healthy soil to the word being planted, that we take heed to what God is saying in our lives, that we pause and we say, God, what are you saying to me today? Not just on a Sunday with some bald guy or good-looking haired guy preach to you for a while, but every day, the opportunity to say, God, I want to hear from you today. What are you speaking to me today? How am I responding? to your truth and your spirit and your word today. That's what this passage is getting us to take a look at. I want you to write this down. The person you listen to is a preview of the future you. The person that you and I listen to is really a preview of the future you, who you and I will be like. See, you start talking like them, right? You start thinking like them. You start acting like them. You live your life. You orient your life to the people who have influence in your life. That's why at a certain age, you start hearing your mom's voice come out of your mouth, right? Or your dad's voice come out of your mouth. I'm old enough now that I go, oh, that's creepy. That's my father talking. Or, or you see your kids start saying things that you've said 
I mean, when they do it the good way, which is very little, you're like, yay, they're finally getting it. When they do all the bad things, then you're like, ugh, that's their mother, right? (laughs) But whoever we listen to, that is a preview of who we will become. And so what are those influences in our life? I mean, we live in a fast-paced, absorb-a-lot-of-content world. We are constantly bombarded by message after message after message. And so what are those influences in your life and my life? And I'm not even saying they're bad. Don't, don't mishear me. I'm not saying throw out your TV, throw out your internet, throw out all your smartphones. I'm just saying, like Luke is saying, pay attention. Take heed. Understand what you're absorbing in your life because the more messages, the tones of those messages is how you will start living your life. I think of it this way. Anyone like tea? Anyone love tea? I mean, I love coffee. I pretended to like tea when I was dating my wife. So how many of you like tea? How does tea work? Have you ever thought about that? You take this ball or you take this bag and you stick it in hot water. What really happens in that process? The water is literally infused with the flavor of the tea, right? It's just transformed. It's made different. It's saturated by that tea bag. It alters the water. And that's what it really means to hear from the word of God, to hear God's voice speak to our souls, to be in the word. We talk about that, being in the word. But let me change that just a little bit. How about being with the word and letting it, him, be with you and in you. It's not just something we want to read. It's someone we want to become. Just like the tea is infusing and changing the water, the word of God is infusing and changing our life. See, that's how life transformation and joy happens. I loved at the end of the message, Drew was talking about what Chris told him, but you don't walk through a vineyard and hear the trees grunt. I think we've got this backwards as Christians. We just try hard, do more. I got to grunt more. And what we're saying is that God in his grace is willing to work through us when we're open and listening and eager to receive him. That's how life transformation and joy happens. And for us to get that even more, Luke continues with another illustration. Starting in verse 19, it says this, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. See, the natural expectation of the crowd was for Jesus to go, okay, gang, hang on, hold on a second. I got to go talk to him and I'll be right back. But he flipped it. He completely turned it on its head. He's saying, I am with my family. I am about my father's business. What Jesus is saying here isn't an exclusion, it was an inclusion. It was a call to extend the family beyond the natural family lines. Because church is not just family by birth. It's family by new birth, right? And it's not just family by blood, it's family by his blood, And in case you're wondering, because maybe you're new here, you know that family's like chocolate, right? Have you heard that? Family's like chocolate. It's really sweet with a few nuts. And if you don't know who the nuts are, uh, the mirror might be able to tell you who the nuts are, right? But you notice how Luke tells us we're in the family? My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and what? Do it. They're changed. They follow. They live it out. And here's what I'm afraid of. 
in our go-go fast world, we do it. We grunt and we strive and we try and we just work harder at it. Or maybe we hear it and we let it rattle around in our brain, but we're not really transformed by being in the presence of God. Do you see the distinction? Sometimes we just try harder thinking that'll work. Or sometimes we just try and learn more thinking that'll work. But what Luke is getting at is, are we transformed by the word of God and the presence of God changing our life? See, far too often we define our intimacy with God through what we know or what we do. Have you noticed this? I know more, therefore I love God more. And don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking knowing more and doing more. We'll get to that in a second. But we define it as a stop, as an end, that I know more. Look at all the Bible studies on my shelf I've went through. Look at all the theology books I've went through. I'm really close to God. Is that true? Or look at my checkbook and look at my calendar and look at all I do for God. But if I was honest, my heart really wasn't in it. I just did it because that's what I was supposed to do. And so far too often we define our relationship with God simply on what we know or simply on our behavior. But why we know and why we do is what the text is getting us to pay attention to this morning. And so I really want us to get this. This for me is the missing piece in a lot of Christians' life. When I talk to Christians and they're frumpy and grumpy and they're just curmudgeons, you know what I'm saying? Have you met them? I don't mean that they're old. I mean that that's just how they understand Christianity. They're just grumpy. Guys, you see what I'm saying? You're all kind of quiet this morning. You do know we have free coffee, right? You don't even have to pay for anything. It's okay, show up five minutes early, down a hot cup of coffee, it's great. But I want you to see the flow of the text. So let me go back to verse 15. As for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good what? Heart. And then they bear fruit with patience. Take care then how you hear. Don't just know it. Don't just let it go in between the gaps between your ears, but allow it to transform your heart. It's because my mother and brothers though hear the word of God and do it. Notice the flow of the text here. Pay attention to how you are hearing because it needs to take root in a good heart. And then... From that good heart comes the action. And so why do you hear? Why do you sit in hard chairs, listen to a sweaty ball guy, or listening to Drew every week? Why do you hear? Because you want to. And why do you do it? Because you want to. See, what we're talking about is transform attitudes and affections from a good heart. That is what I think is missing in so many Christians' lives. They get the knowledge down, they get the behavior down, but they forget that God wants to transform us from the inside out. That's why the word has to go deep and penetrate so that we're transformed from the inside out in our attitudes and our affections. We're not talking about some sort of zombie Christian apocalypse where we just shuffle along going, Bibles, right? Are we missing the mark this morning? Because I've watched so many Christians that their identity in Christ is just what they know or just how they behave. And nobody ever sat down with them and said, you know what God really is after? What do you love? And what's your attitude? What's your heart like? When somebody cuts you off in traffic, how do you respond? Me, terrible. Because God's still discipling my attitudes and my affections. 
But that's what I think God's going after. We will never actually bear fruit to a hundredfold if we don't let the word go down and change our attitudes and our affections. See, the one who follows all the rules but with a terrible heart is not really following God. They're not really in the family. The roots don't go down deep so that when the trials and when the thorns come, they wither away. Does that make sense? This is what I really wanted to share with you this morning is that if the truth hasn't transformed our attitudes and our affections, no matter how much we know or how much we behave, we're still missing the mark of what God has for us. But when we're saturated in God's truth, because we want more of God's presence, don't miss that, when we're saturated in God's truth, because we want more of God's presence, that's when we start to see life change. That's when we let the word seep into our whole being. A relationship with Jesus grows, letting him light up our life with joy. And that joy leads to even more obedience. And then we see fruit. That's what John 15 is talking about. And so wrapping up, for us to really experience this, I think there's two implications we need to talk about. Two ideas that I want you and I to wrestle with. The first is this. I think we're just too busy, church. I think in 2016, you and I live a pace of life that is too stinking busy. I say it all the time. I'm so busy. Anyone else ever say that? Oh, you're liars. One of you raised your hand. Good job. I say it all the time. I am so busy. And if I'm honest, I think that's a badge of honor at times. Have you noticed that? I'm so busy. I'm sorry. I'm so busy. Because look how important I am. Look at all that I have to do. Because I'm so busy. You might want to write this down too. Busy is the enemy of intimacy. Busy is the enemy of intimacy. Because busy keeps us from relating well to God, of really absorbing his truth, of letting the spirit of God speak to us. Because understand, most times he will not shout, the spirit of God will not shout over the noise that we place in our life. That's a warning for us, church. The spirit of God will likely not shout over the noise that we have placed in our life. God never designed us to be always on the go, mentally, physically, spiritually. That's why he called us to Sabbath. There is no microwave or drive-by Jesus method to intimacy. But we try and package them, we try and sell them, but it's not true. See, eventually, busy starts to overwhelm. It pushes out many of the healthy things in our life. Stressed, short-fused, get it done, anxious, tense, worried, can't sleep, jacked up, revved up, crazy, squirrel on coffee. I don't know how to stop. Could I? Should I? I, I, I mean, they need me. Only I can do that. It can be intoxicating, can't it? To be needed. And so we put ourselves into busy, busy, busy. But at some point, it falls down and breaks. We're redlined, sick, depressed, tired, on edge of a breakdown. Have you ever used the words, don't cross me? I just need a good cry? Because we're so busy. Can anyone relate? Can we just get honest a little bit? That we're so busy that we've stopped really walking with God and letting him light up our life. We go through the motions. We do what we have to do. We just get it done. 
And by the way, your busyness, my busyness, is usually tied to what lights us up, to what really lights us up. The second thing I think we need to talk about this morning is priority. The second implication for us is priority. And I want to be real clear. Some of you are saying, okay, Dan, I get it. I agree. I need to have God more as a priority in my life. You know what? You're wrong. You don't need to have God more as a priority in your life. God doesn't need to be more of a priority in your life. I know that we've been taught that. Put God first. Make God the priority. But the problem then is we turn God into a task, into a duty. He becomes another thing I have to do. I checked God off my list today. Yay me. Again, can anyone relate? I've been there, guys. Rather, I I want you to think of God this way. We've got two choices of relating to God. The first is this. What is this? TV dinner. Breakfast of champions for single guys, right? What's this? So when you have a TV dinner relationship with Jesus, he's compartmentalized. You want it fast, you want it now, but he's compartmentalized. Maybe Jesus is the vegetable. I gotta do it. I'm supposed to do it. That's what my religion tells me. Maybe he's the dessert, the stale brownie. You really like him. Maybe Jesus in your TV dinner world is big, and maybe Jesus in your TV dinner world is small, but he is separate. He doesn't touch everything else. He has his place. The boundaries are up. You tell him what he can do in your life and what he can't do in your life. That's a TV dinner Jesus. And I see a lot of Christians live that way. The other way is a pot pie Jesus life. The pot pie is mixed all together. It's whole. Every bite is pot pie. Not corn, not Salisbury steak, not dry brownie. See, Jesus doesn't need to be more of a priority in your life. Jesus is your life, the center, what everything is connected to, the source, the one that lights you up, that we are filled and fueled by Jesus. See, not just Jesus as the priority in front of all these other priorities screaming for my attention, but that in every priority, Jesus is my reason and my center. And so not just Jesus, then my family, but Jesus in my family. And not just Jesus, then my career, but Jesus in my career. And not just Jesus, and then my hobbies, but Jesus in my hobbies. Does that make sense? So I just want to take a moment. I want to let God speak to you as we pray. Let me pray and just kind of guide you in a couple questions. God, this morning we've uh, just kind of went through a big idea real fast. Not just your word being in our life, but really having the effect that you have for it. Transforming us, changing us. And so what is God speaking to you right about this morning? What is the Spirit whispering to you about? What does he have for you today? 
What is it that lights you up, really? And what is it that maybe you're afraid to let God see, to touch, to reveal? What are you hiding? Do you believe God loves you enough to overcome that? What attitude or affections does God want to work on you with? That his truth really goes deep, vibrant, and transforming. Because I get it, we're busy, too busy. And sometimes that just easily eclipses out the voice of God and a real vibrant walk with God. And we just get her done like everything else. Has your life become a TV dinner, Jesus? Or is every part his? God, thanks for this morning. You are a good, good king. You love us. You're willing to call us out of our comfort zone and transform. You're the one who moved first and you're the one who will continue to offer your grace and your forgiveness and move with us. And so we yield to you, Holy Spirit, this morning. May your word transform us. May your spirit have your way with us. And may we be more and more like your son. In Jesus' name.